The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. A recent investigation into the Las Vegas mass shooting incident reveals that the government is actively lying to the American people. And then we meet a young woman who's going to be spending a couple days with her sister and her sister's family. But when the only room available in the house is deep in the basement, she's beginning to have second thoughts. And then we travel to the great outdoors. Beautiful farmland as far as the eye can see. When a vacationing family makes this journey once a year to grow vegetables and pretend that they're farmers, everything seems normal. But maybe that's because they're not paying close enough attention to the scarecrows in the field. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun out there in the world doing your thing. We got a lot of stuff to cover today. So first off, leaking into Dead Rabbit Command, crawling all over the floor. It's a big old puddle of one of our legacy Patreons. Everyone give it up for Space Vomit. Woohoo! Yeah! Yeah, we're all standing on chairs so he doesn't get on our shoes. Woohoo! Space Vomit is leaking into Dead Rabbit Command. Space Vomit, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, if you guys can't support the show financially, I totally understand, I really do. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so much. That's a way you can help the fluffle grow. Tell your friends, tell your family. Also, you can vote for us in the Paranormality Best Paranormal Podcast. They do this every month. Link down below on how to vote. Space Vomit, I'm going to go ahead and scoop you up in a big old fishbowl, and I'm going to put you in the Jason Jet. I'm just going to pour it all over the seat. Go ahead and fly us out of Dead Rabbit Command. We're headed to Vegas, baby. (laughs) We're headed out to Vegas, but not to gamble. To take a look at, oddly enough, a very... We don't really talk about this mass shooting anymore. And you can go, Jason, well, there's a lot of mass shootings. But it's not that. that that's not the well, that's part of the reason why. But there, we still talk about Columbine, right? Like as a society, a culture, we still talk about Columbine. We still talk about these other mass shooting events. But one that you don't hear much of anymore, and it's the most mysterious one of all, is the Las Vegas Massacre. Yeah, this happened back on October 1st, 2017. Just a quick refresh your Jason. I don't want to be reminded. I don't want to be reminded of this. Absolutely bizarre. It's really the, the biggest mass shooting event that we've seen as far as just full-on fatalities and injuries. It was uh, Stephen Paddock. Hold your questions till the end. I know there's conspiracy theories about whether or not he did that, but 
Brief overview, Cliff Notes version. Stephen Paddock, 64-year-old man, right? Super old for a mass shooter. They tend to be younger. Stephen Paddock, 64 years old. He's in a hotel room in Vegas, and there is a music festival going on near his hotel, and he busted out a window and opened fire on a crowd of 22,000 festival-goers. And he has the height, and he has all these weapons in his room, and he opens fire. He fires more than a 1,000 rounds. He kills 60 people, and 867 people are injured in the chaos. Some of that's trampling, right? Some of that's like, oh, my feet, my feet hurt because I'm running so hard. But 400, over 400 of those injuries was from bullets or shrapnel. So insane, right? Absolutely. <laughs> the definition of insane There's been a ton of conspiracy theories about this mass shooting in particular because the FBI, they investigated this and they said, we don't know why he did it. We don't know why he did it. If you go to Wikipedia and you look at the shooting, like the very beginning of the summary, it says, quote, the motive for the mass shooting is officially undetermined. And that is true. The FBI goes, we don't know why he did it. And that's been a big question. Now, there was a ton of conspiracy theories about it, that it was a ISIS weapon deal gone bad. And it was actually ISIS that opened fire on the crowd. ISIS did claim that this guy was a member of ISIS. They said, oh, we know that dude. And the the government, the feds, we said, no, we don't believe that part. ISIS, you're very untrustworthy. We don't believe ISIS did claim responsibility for this. That was a conspiracy theory. There's been a lot of conspiracy theories surrounding this. I think one of them, because we covered it a bit earlier in the run of the show, was that his target wasn't the music festival or there was some shootout between feds and someone else and these people were actually caught in the crossfire and the gunfire was actually aiming towards a fuel tank or something. I, I remember hearing all this stuff. I looked into it. But at the end of the day, the FBI who investigated it said, we don't know why he did it. That's a lie. And it's not a lie because I'm a conspiracy theorist. It's not a lie because I have a hunch. This is absolutely insane. I read true crime all the time. There was an article on crimeonline.com, and they were citing a newspaper that's based in Las Vegas called The Review Journal, reviewjournal.com. This is all in the show notes. It turns out that the FBI came into the possession of 10 letters written from a man named Jim Nixon. Jim Nixon is a disabled Vietnam veteran and a convicted felon. He did time for tax fraud. And he was a close personal friend of Stephen Paddock. They have in their possession 10 letters. The reason why we know this is because the Review Journal heard about the letters, filed a Freedom of Information Act to get these letters from the feds. And we now know, I think some of them are pretty heavily redacted, but the FBI, they weren't re- they weren't redacted when the FBI got them. Jim Nixon, these letters were written over the course of four years. It was 10 letters from 2013 to 2017 when the shootings took place. And the letters said things like, remember, they, they, the FBI says we have no idea why he did this. That he went through to great lengths to hide the fact that he was going to commit a mass shooting, why he committed the mass shooting, what his end goal was, everything. They had 
in their they got these letters after the shooting obviously they weren't able to prevent it but here's a here's a quote from a letter that was written in may 2017 from jim nixon to his buddy stephen paddock quote i can get someone for you who can help you please don't go out shooting or hurting people who did nothing to you I'm concerned about the way you are talking and believe you are going to do something very bad. Steve, please, please don't do what I think you are going to do. So Jim Nixon knew that this guy was talking about doing crazy things. One of the letter refers to Stephen, because, you know, we just have the letters that Jim had written. Saying, "Oh yeah, you were t- you were t- you were telling me you wanted a a list of music festivals in the United States. Sure, I can I can get you that list. I I don't know why Stephen couldn't Google it, but hey, yeah, yeah, I'll help you out with that. So they were contacting each other, talking back and forth. And one of the things was big music festivals. At that point, Jim's like, you know, maybe he just really likes Grateful Dead or something like that. But in May 2017, it says, listen, I think you're going to go hurt people." Here's more of this letter. Quote, you are a good person and I want you to know that I'm concerned about you and your well-being. I believe that you are lying to me and you are going to hurt someone or kill someone. You sounded like a real madman on the phone tonight. The FBI had possession of these letters. I'm just quoting one of them, right? The FBI has possession of these letters. The rest of them are kind of around the same thing. One of the letters says, quote, look, buddy, I can get you some help. You need to talk to someone who knows how to deal with dreams. Don't listen to what the damn dreams tell you. I will help you all I can. Okay? The FBI has has possession of these letters. They had possessions of these letters early on in the investigation because they were found. Some people had bought a building in Mesquite, Texas. That's where Stephen Paddock used to live. And these 10 letters were found at this abandoned building that they were cleaning up. Presumably, they're cleaning up after the shooting. They find them addressed to Stephen Paddock, or they had them, they found them before and just kind of set them aside. I'm not for sure, but these 10 letters were sent to the FBI. Jim Nixon saying things like, don't listen to the dreams, quote, please don't go on any shooting rampage like a fool, unquote. They had possession of the 10 letters. Jim Nixon was interviewed by the Review Journal, He said the FBI never contacted me. This guy goes and opens fire on 22,000 people. They know the name of someone who before the shooting knew him, had an idea what was going to happen, was trying to convince him not to. He does it. Stephen Paddock is killed in the shooting. The FBI has these letters. They never interviewed Jim Nixon to go, what are you talking, what are the dreams Do you know any motive of why he would have done this? They never talked to Jim Nixon. And here's the thing. So the reason why the letter stopped in May is because Jim was sent back to prison. He he was violated his parole. He did something, right? So he stopped writing in May of 2017 because he was in jail now. The only reason why the FBI wouldn't go out to interview Jim Nixon is if they already knew the motive. Why would they want to go to this interview, this, we already know why I did it, but they're not telling us. It's infuriating, really. It's so infuriating because it's, listen, I get that they, an open investigation's not giving out the information, but in this case, it's closed. 
They just said it's undetermined. They know why, so why go through the extra step? And what makes it even weirder? Like, you, you know the government lies to you. You know the feds are going to lie to you. Why they're covering this? This is a cover-up. They know exactly why he shot those people. They're not telling us. Why? Why aren't they telling us? This guy knows. And to make it even, you know the feds are going to lie to you. You would hope they don't lie to you about other, like, everything. We know the feds are going to lie to us, right? What I find super intriguing about this, and we'll wrap it up with this. Feds say they don't know what caused it. Jim Nixon wrote these letters. He must have some inkling, even if it's something like, yeah, he always just wanted to shoot up a bunch of people. Like, his motive was he wanted to kill a bunch of people. Like, he always talked about... Because they said maybe he had bad gambling debts he had to pay off, maybe da-da-da-da-da-da-da. They've been throwing darts at a board as well. But even if the motive was I wanted to feel like... I wanted to feel what it was like to kill a bunch of people, the FBI's not even saying that. They're not just saying he was a madman. They're saying we don't know why he did it. That's a lie. And the man who definitely would at least give them some clues as to why he did it, the FBI never interviewed. The FBI never interviewed. Well, the Review Journal did this newspaper. They interviewed Jim Nixon, and he goes, yeah, I wrote those letters, and the FBI never talked to me. The Review Journal didn't say what Jim's theory was on why he did the mass shooting either. You know what I mean? If I, I am a journalist, I would say, well, why do you think he did it? Why do you think he did it? You had, you had this correspondence with him for years. Why do you think he did it? And what Jim, what his friend, his confidant must have said to the reporter was so dangerous, the newspaper wouldn't even publish it. Or, like many major newspapers in America, the reporter asked the question, got the answer, took it back to the newspaper, and the editor makes a call. And that editor makes a call before the government calls the editor and says, don't run the story. The editor of some things, if something's too controversial, editor will call up their contact in the federal government and say, hey, should we run this? Why did he do it? We know. As a government, we know. But as a citizen, as a society, we don't know. The motive is officially undetermined. That's a lie. And there's a guy out there who could at least shed light on it. And even if it was, his motive was he wanted to shoot a bunch of people. That's a motive. And just to add a little bit of conspiracy sugar to this cake that we are forced to eat, this disgusting cake. Stephen Paddock, let's look at his career trajectory. He worked for the post office. Right? Other than jokes about going postal, he worked for the post office. Then he moved on to the IRS. Then he worked for the Department of Defense. And then he worked for a company that ended up merging with Lockheed Martin, which is a huge defense contractor. And then in the end, the last chunk of his life, he worked in real estate. If you want to look at someone, we talk about, I mentioned Project Monarch, I mentioned government mind control. This person was 10 toes deep in the government machine 
almost his entire life. And his motive is officially undetermined. Space vomit, <laughs> kind of a weird segue, but space vomit. Let's go ahead and toss you into the, we need a submarine. But I, I, but I, I can't come up with it off the top of my head. Space vomit, let's go ahead and toss you into the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. We're going to leave behind Las Vegas. Fly us all the way out to a house in the suburbs. This episode's going to have a theme. <laughs> the theme isn't mass shooters. That's not the theme, but let's see if you can pick up on what this theme is. We're in this neighborhood. We're in this typical suburban neighborhood. We see a young woman walking into a house. Now, we don't have a specific location or any of the real names. We're going to go ahead and call this woman Shirley. And her mom is in the hospital right now. It's really, really tough times. No one wants anyone in the hospital, especially mamas, right? And Shirley is staying with her sister's family. They're going to be living together in this house while the mom's in the hospital. It's probably just more convenient. Maybe they live right across the street. That'd be convenient, right? It'd be hard to catch a good night's sleep with the ambulances flying in and out. But, you know, when it, it sucks to live there unless your mom's in the hospital. Then it's the best house in town. So she walks into the house and her sister's like, Shirley, thank you so much for being here. We'll all help mama out. However, we only have one spare room available, and it's in the basement. Do you have a nightlight to make it a little less spooky? And Shirley is like, okay, I can do this. I can live in this basement for just a while until mom gets better. Well, she makes it till night three. Right? You've only spent so long underground. That's really what it is. She makes it three nights, and she's laying there in bed. And there's a closet. This is so weird. Why would you have a closet in the basement? I guess not every basement looks like Freddy Krueger's house, but there's a closet in the basement. And Shirley's there in bed, and she's trying to sleep, and then all of a sudden she hears... And what that sound is, <laughs> I just have no idea what that sound is. Is that heavy breathing? Is that a goat in labor? What she hears is the sound of something heavy being dragged across the floor. Now listen. You see, you can hear it now. You can see it in your ears. She hears this heavy... She, it's the sound of something heavy being dragged across the floor... It's coming from the closet. And in an odd detail, in something that only the world of the paranormal can do, she said, not only was it the sound of something huge and heavy being dragged across the ground, she goes, the closet's the size of a normal closet, but the sound, it sounded like it was being dragged through a huge room. Not that there was an echo, echo, but that you would hear it. Like, again, it's hard to describe. It's the way the world of the paranormal can work sometimes. It sounded like it was being dragged across a bigger distance, but the sound was just emanating from the closet itself. 
So that's really creeping her out. Like you can go, well, that could just be <laughs> just be a couple squirrels, you know, dragging themselves around. But it doesn't make sense. Spatially, it didn't make sense. Why is she hearing the noise like it's being dragged over this great distance, but the entire time the sound's coming from the closet? She does, though, go, that is weird, and it's it's fairly petrifying. However, must just be my imagination. I am going through a lot of stuff right now. My mom's in the hospital. I'm in a basement. <laughs> Those are two pretty bad things, right? You don't need a third. I think it's just my imagination. And she goes, this noise, that night would start and stop. Wasn't a continuous. <laughs> She's like, oh, white noise. I wish they had this on a white noise machine. Uh. She said it would start and stop. But she would also start to hear, there's a little basement window. She would start to hear the sound of metal scraping against the... She's like, come on, man. I just want to go to sleep. I'm hearing all the spooky stuff. But she hears the sound of metal scraping across the basement window. Eventually, she's able to fall asleep. The the soothing sounds of goats in labor. Metal scraping on glass. She's eventually able to fall asleep. But it's not a restful sleep. She eventually wakes up a couple hours later. And the room is dark. The nightlight that gave her just a little bit of comfort is off. She wakes up. She's in a completely black room. It's basically pitch black at this point. There's no light at all. And she's scared. You know, you know, <laughs> even adults need nightlights from time to time. She's scared. She can't figure out what's going on. She looks and she sees by the window, but in the basement, in the basement, standing by the window, She sees a tall man. She said he was so tall, his head was nearly touching the ceiling. Technically, the floor, really, of the house. (laughs) You're like, Jason, wait, now I'm confused with the stand on his head. You know, like the ceiling of a basement is the floor of a house. But anyways, he's so tall, his head is almost touching the floor. But not only was this man tall, he was wearing clothes. He was wearing clothes. He had torn up clothes, rags, basically, like a big old hobo, a giant tall hobo standing in the basement with long, dark hair and a long, dark, scraggly beard. He just stood there in the darkness with his arms crossed. Completely motionless. But then he begins to turn his head. And locks eyes with Shirley. They stare at each other for just a moment. Shirley's petrified. She can't even move. She has no idea what this specter's intent is going to be. But just when she's thinking the worst, he vanishes. And so does the darkness. Slowly, the basement is illuminated once again. Not fully. But that soft glow of the nightlight is visible once more. 
It hadn't burned out. It hadn't been unplugged. This presence, when it entered the basement, sucked all the light out of it. So only it and Shirley existed in this dark realm. That wasn't that wasn't her imagination, right? Shirley was like, okay, I saw that. It was not my imagination. There's something completely wrong with this basement. I do want to stay around because mom's in the hospital, but I can't do this. The next morning, she tells her sister, she goes, hey, listen, I'm just not even going to sugarcoat it. Your basement's haunted. This is what happened last night. The dragging and the metal scraping and sure, that could have been anything. But then a giant then a giant guy showed up wearing these uh, scraggly clothes and he looked at me. I, your basement's haunted. And her sister had a very interesting reaction. She said, don't, don't, please don't tell my husband or my kid about what you saw. Shirley's like, what, why, why not? I can understand the kid, but why don't you want me to tell your husband? And the sister goes, if you tell them that the basement is haunted, they will never go down there again. I need you to promise me you will not tell them what you saw because they will both be so scared. It will actually disrupt the household. Where all, I'm sure that's where like the laundry machines were. I mean, some people don't ever go into basements. I've lived in a few houses with basements. Very rarely went down there. Other people, like the basement is an extension of the house. They have things down there they need. Do not tell. You've got to promise me you won't tell my husband or my kid any, <laughs> any part of that story. Say you had a great night's sleep. Maybe we'll figure out something you can sleep on the couch, but... Don't tell him. And she didn't. Shirley did not tell the husband or the daughter what she had seen. But she knew. And she knew her sister knew that there was something else in that house. Something in the basement. But they would never tell the other members of that family. Shirley did want to add, she posted this online. It took place in December 2022. She posted it online under the name Life is Great Too. She did add at the end, she goes, my mom's fine. My mom's totally fine. So if you're a fan of moms, which most people are, don't worry about it. The mom pulled through. Very, very interesting ghost story. I don't think it would be a shadow man. Shadow men very rarely appear with clothing, and usually it's just like a hat or a coat. This guy was wearing rags, unless the shadow man's falling on tough times. This was a mother sort of entity. And this is one of those stories that Shirley posted this. And I looked through the rest of the posting history. Stuff about something called Warrior Cats. I don't know if that's a cartoon or a comic book or something like that. It's just about a bunch of cats kicking each other in the balls or something. I don't know. But um, I always that's always interesting when people live a totally normal life. Well, I guess I don't know what Warrior Cats is. There might be some creepy fetish thing. You're like, Jason, that's the craziest thing you've ever brought up on this show. I don't know what it is. But it's interesting when people live relatively normal lives and then this paranormal story just happens. It is an interesting little tidbit. But she does. She has never told the husband or the daughter. They still don't know. What's in the basement? Space vomit. I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the carpenter copter. We're up, up and away out of this neighborhood. Take us all the way out to 
the great outdoors. Another story, we don't have a location of the real names for it. We're going to go ahead and meet a young boy. We're going to call him Cole. Cole, him and his family did the same thing every summer. They're like, kids, there's a lot of fun stuff we could do. Disneyland, Knott's Berry Farm. But what's better than Knott's Berry Farm? And the kids are like, "Uh, Disneyland. And they're like, no, 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 forget forget I said Disneyland. That doesn't work. What's better than Knott's Berry Farm, kids? And they're like, hi. Uh, pretty much anything because Snoopy sucks. And the dad's like, what I was getting at was the only thing better than Knott's Berry Farm is a real farm. What's better than riding on roller coasters or having fun in general or spending your summer vacation working on a farm? So the family would load up every summer and they would go out. They rented this farmland from a guy named George. It was basically Airbnb, but with like wheat. And stuff like that. So anyways, there's this guy named George and he rents out his farm. It actually sounds like a pretty good deal, right? Because you'd be like, oh, I'm too old to farm. He's 47. He's just super lazy. He's like, oh, the soil's been bad to me. Maybe I'll rent out my farm and let other people plant tomatoes and squash. And then the day before the harvest, they show up. I'm the human rabbit. Nom, 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 nom. They're like, what happened to a flock of locusts come through? Every single vegetable is gone as he's driving away on a tractor. George rents out his farmland so people, toonies, out-of-towners, can come out and plant stuff in his fields and then harvest them. Doesn't sound like... It sounds like the opposite of... It is the opposite of fun. It's work. It's literally back-breaking labor. During summer vacation, but anyways. Also, can you grow fruit that quickly? Can you? Not fruit, those are trees. Can you grow vegetables in in a summer vacation? Like, is that a thing? I always thought like you had to plant in spring and then harvest in summer. I don't know. I don't know anything about vegetables. I think they're disgusting, so I don't particularly care. But maybe something lame like broccoli pops up pretty quickly or carrots. The lame stuff, not like potatoes. So anyways, this family goes out every year and that's how they spend their vacation. They grow veggies and enjoy the rural life before they head back to the big city. A stomach full of broccoli and a brain full of memories of the great outdoors. But anyone who's ever lived on a farm knows that pests are the number one problem. I don't actually know if that's true. You're like, no, Jason, there's... Far bigger problems than that. Well, anyways, this farm had a particular problem with rabbits and deer coming in and, like, eating the carrots. Um, nom, 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 nom. And they'd have, like, stalks of broccoli and the the deer are eating them up. And, like, the rabbit's, like, grabbing handfuls of corn. He's <laughs> chewing them up. So the family goes, you know what we need to do? Let's put up some scarecrows. Let's put up some scarecrows to scare these rabbits away. I always thought you just built a rabbit-proof fence, like a a fence that was super deep. It's all touching the magma. You're like, try digging through molten lava, you jerk. You have a fence. But anyway, so these guys have scarecrows up in the field. This family puts these scarecrows up. I'm sure it would work against deer. Maybe if you gave the scarecrow, like, a gun, like, aiming. 
Amy. It's all it's all like drone operated. You the dad sitting in the house, do do controlling it. Just to scare him away. He's actually not shooting the deer yet. But anyways, they put up these scarecrows. They harvest whatever you can harvest in a summer. And then they go back to the big city. To the daily grind of unending Starbucks and school and work. But next summer's coming up. Guess where we're going, guys? The farm. Yeah, the farm. <laughs> not 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 Knott's Berry Farm. Real farm. So they go out to the farm the next year. And George lives there when they're not there, also. He's not just like, well, time to be homeless. He's all makes his little bindle and walks away. Time to go haunt a basement. George is there when they're not. They show up and they're like, hey, George, uh, we're here to rent the farm again. George's like, sounds great. But Cole and his family would realize, you know, they put the scarecrows up the first year to keep away the deer and the, the rabbits and stuff. When they came back to the farm the second year, the scarecrows were in a different location. So they do it another summer. They're there farming, working the plow, putting hay seeds in their mouth, all the stuff, all the stuff you imagine on a farm, making, making their own manure. They're like, oh, this is the best part of being on the outdoors. Pooping on vegetables. He's all eating a vegetable as he's pooping on it. He's like, I should probably plant this first. I should probably not do any of this, honestly. I should probably go do a proper vacation. But he's sitting there. The dad's sitting there reading a newspaper, making manure in the field. That's year two. Year three comes around. And Cole's like, oh, I'm never going to do that stupid farm thing. I have a girlfriend now. Look at She's adorable. I have a girlfriend. We're going to be hanging out this summer. We're going to be watching movies and things like that. Dad's like, the only movie you need, son is looking out of a farmhouse window at crops growing and me making manure. Cole's like, no, not that. we can buy manure. Can we go to Home Depot before we get there? Nah. Year three, pretty much the same thing. Is they're driving up to the farm. They notice that the scarecrows are in a different location, but whatever. Go to George, say, hey, we want to rent the farm out. He's like, oh, yes, I knew you city slickers would be back. No one escapes the farm life. It's just too much fun. And they do this for four years in total. And it plays out pretty much the same time. But after year four, Cole's family, like, they've worked that season. They're standing all on the porch. They're wiping their brows. Fresh farm sweat dripping off their skin. Delicious, (laughs) delicious lemonade sitting on the table. (laughs) It's half sweat at this point. They're sweating into it. Dad's (laughs) dad's drinking a big drink with Quite salty lemonade you made here, honey. Yum, yum, yum. I kind of like it. Tastes like me. Well, everyone, let's look at at this farm one last time because next year we're going to take a real vacation. We've worked our fingers to the bone tilling this land. Probably should have used that plow more, but I wanted to be part of the soil myself. I'm a soily. That's my fetish now. Look at it, family. Look at it and wonder. This is the farm we've spent the last four summers at, but this will be the end. So when George comes back this time, the dad goes, hey, we had a lot of fun. Made a lot of memories. Made even more manure. But George's like, wait, what? You guys have been making your own manure? Ah, ah." The dad goes, we're not going to rent it next year. Just letting you know, next year we're not going to rent the farm. We're going to go on real vacations we're gonna go and do things that normal humans do 
And that is when George says, okay, yeah, you're not coming back next year. And dad's like, nope, we're not going to be back next year. And George goes, well, you know, I'm, I just going to sound crazy, but you know, I'm never going to see you again. You're never going to pay me money again. So I'm going to tell you something. Those scarecrows you guys put up in the fields. Dad's like, yeah, yeah, we got those a couple of years ago. And George goes, yeah. Every night that I lived on this farm, every night, when I looked out into the field, I'd watch the scarecrows move. What are you talking about? George is like, at night when I look out my window here, you can see him moving. You can see him walking through the fields. Now, Cole said, I still think about that. I still think about what George said. And he might have been pulling a prank. It might have been a joke that we didn't get. Like, he goes, rationally speaking george probably moved the scarecrows and then when we weren't coming back told us that the reason why we showed each time we showed up they were in a different location wasn't because he was moving them but because they were moving themselves they were walking around in the field he goes it must have been a joke because you know obviously stuff like that isn't real right but it's it's interesting, like, you're right, this 100% could have been a joke that he was pulling. It's a fairly elaborate joke, not like it takes a lot of effort. I imagine, let's say there's more than one, so let's say there's four scarecrows, right? It's not super hard to pick up a scarecrow, they're not they're made of straw, after all, they're, they are fairly light in the grand scale of things. But remember, he did this, he would have had to do this four years in a row and never mention it. And not only never mention it, but assume that they would notice that the scarecrows were in different locations. They would be gone for an entire year. And then they come back and they go, oh, those scarecrows are in a different location. He never mentioned it until they stopped coming. Until they said, we're not coming back. And then he goes, well, this is going to be kind of weird, but I'm going to tell you now, the scarecrows move at night. And the family, Cole's family, never saw them move. They saw their new locations and assumed he had moved them for some purpose or another. And now Cole goes, maybe it was a, a, this elaborate prank. But George, as far as we go off of George's word, the scarecrows were walking through the fields at night. And the reason why I combined these three stories is they all have the similar theme of deception, of lying. Now, the first one, it's government, it's either government incompetence, government conspiracy cover-up, and we're used to that every single day. We're used to that, Just that's just part of being a citizen of any nation in the world. The government is either incompetent or corrupt. So I think some people go, I think most people go in with the best intentions, and then they just become part of the machine. And we're so used to that, that when we encounter it, if someone goes, I can't believe that the government lied to us. 
Anyone over the age of four, anyone over the age of being able to read a newspaper goes, yeah, of course they lied to you. They'll always lie to you. And that's tragic. And it's tragic that we accept it. We shouldn't accept it, yet we do. But these last two stories are deception on a different level. Not just because it's paranormal. But the question that I find interesting about these two stories is, do you have a right to know if you're in if you're in paranormal peril like was there and i don't want to go off too too long about this but is there a at the very least a moral case to be made that if there's a demon in your basement who can break the laws of physics by dragging a giant whatever it was, a cage, who knows what it was. And he's just this tall dude hanging out in your bed. Don't you think that if you were the kid or the husband, you would have a right to know? Because if you don't know, you're right. Maybe the dad is me. Maybe the dad's a big old scaredy cat. And my sister-in-law says, hey, Jason, um, my, my sister told me not to tell you, but... Uh, there's a there's a giant tall man in the basement who can suck all light out of a room. I'd be like, I'm never. I would. I listen. I probably would go back down there, but I would also use it as an excuse to never go down there. Hey, honey, can you take out the garbage? No, because the tall guy. They're like the garbage isn't in the basement. I was like, yeah, but maybe he'll see me walking around and come out of the basement. You take out the garbage. But if I didn't know there was a giant tall man down there dragging stuff, and then I get possessed and come out of the basement holding a sledgehammer, and I start pounding people's brains into paste, who whose fault is that? Whose fault is that? Had you told me that there was a monster down there, I probably would have not, probably wouldn't have waited till 3 a.m. I was like, oh man, I gotta start that project tomorrow. I better better go down to the basement at the spookiest time of day. You know, maybe I could have planned my day better. I could have planned around not getting possessed. Because I'm not down there. Whose fault would that be? I didn't know there was a monster down there. The sister did. Do you have a right to know that there's a demon in your house? And you go, obviously, obviously. You do, but I think this type of story happens more often than not. There was another story that, you know, sometimes I have to make decisions of what to cover. There was another story that was pretty much the exact same thing. It was a family, and the da- that was the one where the dad saw a shadowy figure darting in and out of the newborn baby's room and hearing weird voices. And then the story ends, he posted this, he goes... Yeah, I didn't tell anybody because my wife already hates being at home with the kids and this would just make things worse. If she if she knew there was a if she knew there was a shadow demon attacking their baby. So he re, he's not I'll put that in the show notes. It's basically just kind of the same setup. He's like I'm not going to tell her because she'll just freak out. She already doesn't like being at home, which was what what was interesting is he goes, she already doesn't like being at home alone with the kids. And I'm wondering if she's experiencing stuff, too, and not telling him because he's a skeptic, because he would just say you're being hysterical. And so when you're not communicating, bad things can happen. This uh, Scarecrow story, too, uh, was written, posted online by someone going by the name Asparagus New 5501. So 
this guy may this guy may be a veggie. This guy may have a fetish for vegetables because he spent his childhood on a farm. Now, now he now he thinks he is actually asparagus, new asparagus. But anyway, the scarecrow story too. Like as a family, imagine he rented out a house and the George, the the landlord, whatever it is, the renter doesn't tell you that scarecrows are walking through the field at night. You ne- you never notice them, right? He's all waiting for you to bring it up every summer. He's like, ah, I wonder if this is the summer. <laughs> if this is the summer, they'll be like, George, I really like this place, but uh, the scarecrows move around. And then he'd get up to, you know, say goodbye, take the keys. And he's like, they didn't bring up the scarecrow thing again. And then he turns and he looks and the scarecrows are marching towards the house. He's like, ah, maybe I'm just going insane. It is weird that no one else has seen the scarecrows move. Imagine you rented a house and you didn't know that scarecrows were walking around the yard. Now imagine you rented a house. You rent it every summer and... The guy who owns it knows there's a serious problem with black widows in the house. And then on your last day of renting it, the landlord's like, you notice anything weird? And you're like, "Uh, not really. And the landlord goes, you didn't notice the massive insect infestation? You didn't hear the scuttling? You're like, nah, I I do wonder where my infant baby went. I've been looking for him for two days. Um, But other than that, like, do you have a right to know? And it's funny because we have laws in some states that you have to know if the house is haunted when you're buying it. This is past that. This is like you're running a, a farm and scarecrows are walking around. Or you're already living in the house and a loved one knows that there's something in the basement or something in the baby's room and you not telling them. And again, this is super creepy because we don't know what we don't know. In your house right now, if you're a fan of the paranormal, even if you don't believe, you just like hearing these stories, someone else in that house may be experiencing something incredibly terrifying, but they don't want to tell you because they know you'll get even more scared. Or you'll be like, dude, let's go buy a Ouija board. Let's talk to it. I wonder how often this happens. And I, I would assume it's fairly common. So we do hide stuff from each other t- for their safety, or so we say, right? You don't want the family to be scared. You don't want the husband or the kid to be scared. But at the end of the day, who's responsible? If those scarecrows marched into that house one night, you know, who would be responsible? I don't think homeowners insurance would cover a scarecrow invasion. I don't think I I'm pretty sure you're out of luck on that one. Or a demonic possession or who knows what else could be going on in these locations. So do that's really the question I have for you today. It's really a two-sided question. Do you feel you would have the right to know if you were at risk of paranormal danger? And the flip side of that is would you be willing Because you can see both sides, right? If you were with someone who would get hysterical, who would completely just be like, nope, I'm never going down there. You have to do everything down there in that basement. Would you be willing to tell someone? It's just an interesting thought experiment. Would you want to know? The answer will always be yes. But would you be willing to tell somebody something else that you know would terrify them to their core? Would you be willing to share that with someone knowing full well what the consequences of that will be. But if you don't tell them, the consequences could even be worse.
there was a chance that George was going to come back to the farm one day. And he goes, oh, look at the scarecrows are exactly where they were when I left. Maybe they've stopped walking around. And then he walks into the house and he's like, hello, hello, guys. I'm here. How was summer? Summer. So voices echoing through the house. He's like, what? And then he notices like a piece of straw on the ground. And he's like, huh? And he picks it up, puts, puts it in his mouth. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm a farmer after all. Then he walks and he sees another piece of straw. And he's like, oh, wait, huh? And he's walking around. He's very dull. He's a, very, he's a dullard. It takes him forever. Eventually, he's walking around with this huge pile of straw. And he's like, hmm, maybe one more piece of straw will unravel this puzzle. Maybe then the riddle will be solved. Eventually, he's walking around. He picks up all the straw and he goes, the scarecrows must have made it into the house. But I saw the scarecrows out in the field. (gasps) He drops all the straw and he runs out and he runs to the nearest scarecrow. And it's a a dead boy all tied up. Like, wow, Jason. That's super intense. His eyes have been replaced with buttons. He's tied to this. And the scarecrows replaced the family with themselves. So <laughs> there's a car driving down the road with these with these uh people. Their carcasses are full with straw. The scarecrows have taken over their bodies. And they're like, ha ha ha, we finally escaped the farm. And then they basically just have to go to work and they have to pretend that kid, that scarecrow's in school. They're like, dude, you, you're so dumb. Don't you have any brains? He's sitting there in class. He's like, uh, it's probably what I'm sure we escaped the farm, but now I'm in elementary school. My dad has a job in marketing. We didn't really think out the whole escape from the farm thing. At least it was sunny out there and we just got to stand around. Who would be at fault for that? Who would be at fault? DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. But I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.